0: Hi everybody, I'm Mike Hancock, I'm the chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group of Companies and if you're watching on the video, you can see that from behind me. Today, we're going to talk about quantum physics and business. And that may seem a very, very unique thing or something that most people haven't considered. But uh, for me personally, it's been very much a part of my journey for more than 10 years now. Um, I'd say probably about 13 or 14 years in, in, in reality and I think as we get into this a little bit today, I want to pick up on some of the themes that, that Colleen Joy mentioned last week uh, and uh, just give a, a perspective on them or something else, another way to think about some of those. And I think Colleen did a fantastic job of giving everybody on our call and all of our listeners out there um, really good practical insights on how to utilise intuition. So I think that was fantastic. So without further ado... Let's, uh, let's jump into today's presentation. We'll have lots of time to throw this around. So quantum physics and business. That's what we're talking about today. And I've got a few quotes in here. And I wanted to start with this one. And this is from the I Ching. And it says, I'll read it for you because I'm not uh, sure you can uh, see it. Because the wise men of the past thought out the order of the external world down to its ultimate constituents, and the laws of their own inwardness, down to its deepest core, they succeeded in understanding fate. So I'm going to read that one again for you. Because the wise men of the past thought out the order of the external world, down to its ultimate constituents, and the laws of their own inwardness, down to its deepest core, They succeeded in understanding fate. For those of you that are on the live call, let's go to the chat, and I'm interested to find out from you what you think that that means. Uh, It's written in 3114 BC, and it's in the I Ching, which is one of the oldest books in the world. So jump into the chat, folks, and let's see what you think that this means. Because the wise men of the past thought out the order of the external world, that's the world outside down to its ultimate constituents, and the laws of their own inwardness down to its deepest core, they succeeded in understanding fate. Okay, we have our first, uh, first share on the chat here. Um, Andrew, understanding fate is about understanding your future and your place in it. Great. Sarah, they figured out how life works. Very good um heather the outward world reflects the inner world absolutely true we are a microcosm of the macrocosm that's very true natasha they understand fate because they have created it very nice and colleen the ability to direct timelines interesting very good so i think there's a couple of things here philippe i'll just read yours and then we'll jump into it so within so without or so out there as you put it the mind set up the external conditions and one more from moira As within, so without, uh, same thing as we, and we are made of the earth and cosmos. Mary, they understand how things work externally and internally allows them to create. So fantastic feedback. Thank you, team. So firstly, I want to read the first, what is it, four, six, seven words to you. Because the wise men of the past. Now, this was written in 3,114 BC. It's 5,000 years old organized civilization was meant to start around about the same time. In fact, the first um, king of Egypt, Menes, or the first pharaoh, Menes actually came to power in 3113 BC. So around about the same time, the Sumerian Empire rose within about 20 years of this date. So why are these people relating to the wise men of the past? And I don't think they're talking about their grandparents or their mums and dads or anything like that. So this to me elicits that there is a much, much deeper wisdom on this planet that we in the modern world have forgotten. And it doesn't go back to, you know, the biblical times or even past the biblical times. This is a deep-seated wisdom that comes from places that many people on this call and many of the listeners have never considered Never studied, never thought about. And certainly at school, we were told that history started around about 3000 BC. You know, if you're lucky, you get to Stonehenge, that's about 4000 BC. And so that's about when it started. Yet, I think what you'll find in this statement is that things happen a lot more from that. And then they say here, they thought out the order of the external world down to its ultimate constituents. So that, in my mind, would be. Um, matter that in my mind would be what today we call atoms electrons etc all the microcosm that sits in the world so they work this out and certainly the the, in the yi ching i mean the emperor fu he sent his scholars out around the world and for a number of years over 10 they basically studied the world they studied a plant they studied a blade of grass they studied a river, they studied a thunderstorm, they studied a mountain, and they came back with how these macrocosms that we exist in every day work. And then they were able to break that down into basically two things, yin and yang. And that yin and yang basically is what we call binary code, the one and the zero, if you like. And um, even in our own world, it's um, you know, it's it's black, it's white, it's love, it's hate, it's dark, it's light. It's all of those things. It's all of the what the Egyptians called the duality of life. So they worked that out thousands of years ago. And then moving on, and the laws of their own inwardness down to its deepest. Now, you know, I wrote the book Conscious Leadership and... One of the triggers for me writing the book was an article I read in Forbes magazine, going back to about 2016. I can't remember the exact date, but that article basically said that conscious leadership is not about saving the world. Conscious leadership is about the leader's own journey to go into the deepest depths of their own soul so that they can understand themselves fully so that they can turn up as the best version of themselves. So, Basically, that's exactly what this is saying 5,000 years ago. The wise men basically understood the laws of their own idwindus down to its deepest core. And because they understood the way the world works from a macrocosm point of view, and because they understood how they worked from a microcosm point of view, they succeeded in understanding fate. Well, let me put that another way. They succeeded in understanding what, You know, so many people have tried to get us to learn in the last 20 years, tagged the law of attraction, whether it was um, Esther Hicks um, that came up with it, or whether it was Rhonda Byrne in The Secret that brought it to in front of many people, it's irrelevant, but that's essentially what it is, understanding fate. So let's move on with that. So you may not know this, but the basic quantum physics or the quantum that makes up Uh, our world is just simply 16 things. Everything on earth, whether it's the laptop that I'm holding or me, a blade of grass, your favorite, uh, you know, hobby around the house or your favorite painting or your loved one is just this. It's 12 particles of matter and four forces of nature. Now, I'm not going to get into a science lesson on bosons and pleurons and all of that sort of things, which makes up the 12 particles of matter. You can go and, and study those and, you know, then you'll get into the Higgs boson and all of that sort of stuff. But fundamentally we can understand the four forces of nature because they are fin- fundamental. So each and every one of us understand gravity. We understand electromagnetism by the way we are electric beings. And, you know, we have a circuit board inside us, which is our nervous system. And our main fuse box for that is just about an inch below our belly button. It's called our dantian. And that's essentially where um, the reason why you get butterflies when you go out to speak at a big event or when you're asking somebody out on a date or something like that. And it all happens in your stomach. It's also the reason you have gut feel, which is a lot what we talked about last week in terms of intuition, That's your electromagnetic force. Then we have a strong force where we're able to draw things to us. And if you think about that, that's a magnetic force that draws things to us. But we also have a weak force that exists, which essentially is other things drawing us to them. Or if you like uh, us not having enough strength to draw what we want to us. They're the four forces of, of nature. And these things make up the whole universe. So if you understand that the universe is just a series of gravity, um, electromagnetism, a strong force and a weak force, then you start to understand that from a business perspective, the more you train your mind, the more you spend time in meditation or prayer. Um, You know, whatever you believe in, it doesn't matter about your religion, but the more time you spend in your faith, the more you will be creating a strong force. And that strong force will also allow you to become more electromagnetic, which means more is going to be brought to you. But um, I think, you know, if you look at Lundy, for instance, and uh, I don't think there'd be a person on this call, not live on this call anyway, that wouldn't agree that, you know, she's an amazing person. I'm biased, of course, but I know you all think that as well for different reasons. Um, she got the best bit of advice from uh, one of our spiritual teachers actually is a circle of excellence member and he said "Lundy, um you're like uh, a light in the dark and he said and you're like wi-fi but you need to get a password to protect you because at the moment everybody's using your wi-fi and it was great advice she got maybe six years ago or so because as we become more elect- electromagnetically um attractive and as our force becomes stronger We're able to repel those in the universe that are weaker forces and draw to us stronger forces. But if we're not um, congruent in the passwords we protect ourselves with, we manage to attract a lot of things to us that we really fundamentally don't want and a lot of people to us that we really don't want. And you've been in meetings and you've been on calls with us where we've told you, you know learn to say no, turn, turn back at least, you know, half of the clients that want to do business with you. If they're not right, use your values as a mediation, your values is a password. Um, And you know, your password protected by your values. So once you have those values set, then every single situation or opportunity or potential client or whatever it is that comes to you, you can look at that from a values perspective and if your force is strong enough because you've used mindset and you've used prayer and you've used meditation, all the different things, tools that are available to you, then you can easily repel with dignity that weaker force and not bring it into your life. Let's move on. This is a quote out of my book. And um, this is from me, actually. So what I want to tell you this because I thought it was profound for you. I realized that if everything is a bunch of particles, which we've just talked about, which vibrate because all of those particles are just vibrating things, emitting while they do so, because everything that vibrates emits frequency and are held together by either attraction, which is the strong force or repulsion, um, the weak force via gravity, electromagnetism and their friends. Okay. Then these in fact, create some overtones. So what we're saying here, what I'm saying here is that these, jiggling things that is everything in the universe from this mountain that you're looking at in this picture or this lake actually create overtones in music or harmonies in music because everything has sound as its base. So all matter comes from light and all light comes from sound. So sound is the basis of everything. Then the whole world is just like one big orchestra and a cacophony of noise Competing to either resonate and harmonize together or not. So this is the life in which we live. And this is our business from which we live. Everything in the world is essentially um, either the 12 particles or the four forces of nature. And because of that, we are just bouncing around. All things are bouncing. You know, if you're sitting there on your desk, your desk is bouncing. It's emitting a frequency. It's, It's jiggling, right? you're jiggling okay your coffee cups jiggling and it's all held together via gravity electromagnetism magnetism a strong force a weak force and these things create just like if you pluck a string on a guitar or hit a string on a piano they create overtones and harmonies what's an overtone so an overtone means if you go to a piano and you hit the note e on a piano that note will actually make other strings vibrate around it. So you're not actually hearing a pure E there. You're hearing other things with it. And those things that you're hearing with it are called overtones. And it also creates harmonies as well. So you want harmonies because the basis of all matter is light and all light is sound. So sound is what the universe is about. So basically where everything is just a cacophony of noise, everything has a frequency. We can hear down to about 23 hertz or 22 hertz. An elephant can hear down to about nine hertz. The frequency of the Earth is 7.8 hertz. So an elephant can nearly hear the Earth resonating. It's the only creature on the planet that gets close to it. So we're all competing in this zone here. So that's why social media, we call it white noise. You know, traditional news, that's definitely white noise at the moment. It's just distraction. So for you to be very congruent in business and to succeed in what you do, you have to really choose your environment very, very well. So we do that by taking breaks. We do that by getting out in nature. We do that by going to places that we love and hanging out with people that we love and, you know, being in nice spaces. We don't do that by trying to work with our desk poked up against a white wall somewhere. So all of that doesn't allow harmony. Let's move on. I think I've talked enough about that. And I'll be interested in your comments later on. Pythagoras, and uh, you know, he's 2,500 years older, basically, since he was around. He said there's a geometry in the humming of the strings and there is music in the spacing of the spheres. So let me explain that to you. What he said is that, um, and Einstein came back and, and reiterated this, is that there are only two um, absolute forms of science. Everything else is questionable. The only two absolute forms of science are mass and music. And so what Pythagoras was saying, because he had the two schools, the mathematicoi and the Acoustica, one was focused on mass. the other one was focused on music. And essentially, he was a philosopher by heart. He said there is geometry in music. In other words, it makes sense. Any of you who understand music will understand that an octave is the double of something. So, you know, if you only got to look at, a say, a guitar tuner and it'll say A equals 440. So that means that A is also 880 hertz. A is also 220 hertz. A is also 110 hertz. A is also 55 hertz. That's a geometry in that. But he also said there's a musing in the spacing, spacing of the sphere. Say that 10 times fast. So what he's saying there is that all of the planets have a particular musical note. Now, science has found this out to be true. And in fact, the planets in our solar system play a particular musical scale. So everything is not there by chance. It's all there by design. So if we look at this from a, and this is very much the quantum of what our universe and our life is made up about. So then we take that, and many of you would have heard of this book and the work of Dr. Mizuru Omotu. So basically, in The Hidden Messages of Water, he essentially froze water by making different sounds to it and using words. Now, last week on our call, you heard Colleen talk about you know, the power in words. I'm surprised that a little that she didn't talk about um, Mizuuamotu because it, for those of you that are coming to grips with this the first time, this is a great book to read and a great place to start. He's a dead now. He died a few years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, which was unfortunate. but he would tell you that in the book when they when they played something that had love in it or something nice, then you might get a structure like this um, frozen piece of water here, this snowdrop here. And which is really beautiful, a lot of great sacred geometry in it and very pleasing to the eye. But then if he played something that had an ugliness to it or was um, a hate word um, or something like that, then the the drops that came out of these, the flakes that came out of these were incredibly ugly and disjointed and, and malformed to the eye. And in his book, um, and I I chose not to use the picture because you can find it on the internet. But um, in his book, the difference between the word love and and what it does to water is phenomenal. Now, remember, you might go, well, what does that matter? It's just water. You and I are around about 70% water, depending on how old we are. So if we're saying, I hate myself, I'm too fat, I, you know, need to be smarter and all these things. Guess what's happening to the chemistry of our body at a fundamental level? Whereas if you actually are saying, I'm a good person, you know, I work hard, I deserve the best and, and things that are much more positive sayings. I'm a good father, I'm a good mother, et cetera, et cetera. Then what you're giving yourself is a very positive reinforcement there. And the chemistry of your body is actually going to align to that. Yeah, as Philippe says there, we are 70% water. But here's the thing is that your cell phone is also got a percentage of water in it. I'm not sure how much, I haven't checked. Go and Google it, you'll find out. You know, you'll find out that your desk that you're sitting on has a percentage of water in it. You'll find out that the concrete in your building has a percentage of water in it. So all of these things that are around you um, have this. So your words are very, very powerful. And we're going to look at the words in a minute. And that's why, you know, don't beguess somebody who talks to their plants in their garden. You'll find people who talk to their plants, you go, oh, gee, you've got a green thumb. That's because they're talking to their plants and they're giving them love. You know, what you give attention to will grow. What you don't give attention to cannot grow. And I mean, there's there's a number of scientific experiments now, but we won't get into them today around, um, you know, if you're not focusing on something at all and it's out of your range of sight, then basically it may never have existed. And by the same token, that same science is starting to prove now that your future can actually change your past. And that's something that's fascinating to me. And I think we've all experienced that. Moira says here, and your body has lots of water and vibrations within and without effect it. I saw uh, Emoto's early work on a VH, VHS tapes in the suburb of New Zealand decades ago. That's good, Moira. And I've worked with the fellow that travelled with him in the last seven years of his life. There you go. That's fantastic. And I mean, you understand this, Moira, and I think um, you could probably help people a lot that, uh, that are on this call with understanding this type of work a lot better. Future can change past because shit follows us down seven generations. So that's very funny. Let's hope not. Um, let's hope not. But I think you're right in that uh, a lot of stuff not only follows us down generations in terms of DNA evidence, but then there's past life and, and all of that other stuff that, we, that some of you will believe in, some of you won't as well. And uh, one more comment from the chat. Let's move on. Baggage, then conditioning. Very, very true. So let's have a look at words that keep us stuck or even worse, that really mess us up from business. And I want to use a few that are basically commonplace at the moment. And this is an Americanism, the first one. Oh, we had a really good weekend at the beach. That's sick, man. You know, what do you think you're saying when you go that sick? So if you think, oh, no, but it's it's just funny. You know, it's just a funny thing that I say, you know, um, I saw a guy in Greece many years ago when I was, I was living there for three months during winter. And this guy came into the bar. He's an English guy. And he had a tattoo on his chest that said, life sucks. And it amazed me. And one day I, I, I wandered up to him and I said, hey, how are you going? Introduced myself, had a drink. And I said, how's your life going? He said, oh, life's really shit, man. He said, everything I do just turns to crap, um, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, yep. And I tried to tell him he needs to get his tattoo removed, but he was just laughing. He said, no, no, no. He said, that's just to, to make other people um, think I'm, you know, really badass. I thought, no, it's actually making your life suck. Um, here's the other one. And this is why I don't like some of the stuff that comes from people from, like Gary Vee and that. Let's grind it, man. Let's hustle. Let's grind. Let's hustle. Let's 5 a.m. Let's do this. You know, seriously, why do you want to grind and hustle to be successful? Why don't you have words that say being successful is smooth and simple? And that's words that I've used for years to make things smooth and simple and seems to work uh, quite well. Um, Life's a bitch. Well, guess what? Guess what life's going to be when you have that one? And this is the one that I really don't like fake it till you make it. Guess what? You're probably going to keep faking it. But here's the two biggest words. Um, series of words down the bottom here that we've been taught by the education system that are keeping us stuck and they're keeping us as business people stuck. Um, How do you get from A to B? I don't know. Uh, That would be the first one. So when people say, I don't know, and you hear it all the time. And if you hear yourself saying it, then the reason you're saying it is not because you don't know, It's been because you've been conditioned to say this. This is your education. This is a well-meaning teacher teaching you something that came out of the education system that's been set up to keep you average. It's not been set up so that you'll be the president of the USA. Let's face it, they're pretty average as well. It's not set up so that you will be, you know, the next Elon Musk. It's most of those people that got to that space didn't do you know, huge amounts of school, as we know. So it's this. I don't know is a words. If there are three words you can strike from your vocabulary today, then I would totally suggest that you do it. And if you ask your friends and colleagues around you that every time you said I don't know to to raise their hand, say to you I, you said I don't know, then you may be able to get it out of your um out of your vocabulary. Live you really, really well. But here's the next one, and I've chosen not to go into the energies of the I Ching today and into the words in the I Ching, but um, if you look at the five questions that come from the I Ching, the why, the, the, the what, the, the when, the who, and the last one is the how. And how is a question that's relatively manufactured in the last 300 years. You won't find too many how questions in a 16th century book. And I've got a few of them. And, and those of you that are in the octopus house have been there. Go and look for how questions in those, some of those books. So how is an invented question because the energy of how is the metal energy. And the metal energy is an energy that's a lot of structure. And it's designed to really cut through you like a metal axe or a sword or something like that. Whereas a much better question, and I'll give you an example of this for those of you that haven't seen this before. Um, You go to your accountant and you're giving your accountant your business plan for the year and your accountant says, how in the hell are you going to do that? And that how in the hell are you going to do that? You really have no idea. But if the accountant said, hmm, what would be the first step towards doing that? You can answer that question. You may not know how you're doing it, but you definitely can know what you can do next. Often in coaching, when somebody has a big goal, I I say to them, how are you going to do that? They say, I don't know. And then I say, what would be one thing that you could do in the next seven days that could get you closer to that goal? They can always answer that question. Everybody can always answer that question. So when you hear yourself asking a how question or when somebody asks you a how question, stop them, reframe that question to a what can I do next? So if somebody says, I'll give you another example so you understand. Okay, you may be in London and you want to get to Manchester. And so you can ask 10 people on the street, how can I get to Manchester? One of them will tell you there's a bus going at four o'clock. One of them will tell you, take the train. Oh, by the way, don't take Virgin trains. Use the National Rail. Another one will say, there's a flight leaving out of, you know, Gatwick. Another one will say, well, you know, you can probably jump on a truck or hitchhike on the M1. By By the time you've asked this, you're so confused that you have no idea which path that you should take. And that's why the question's wrong. But if you reframe the question... And you might ask, what is the best way to get to Manchester by tomorrow morning? Um, Because I have a meeting there at eight o'clock. Somebody can say, I think you should take the train because you'll get there in three and a half hours and trains run every seven minutes, et cetera, et cetera. See how simple that is and how you can get the right answer, whereas the how question will keep you stuck. Philippe says this. I was a driver recently with a license plate that said annoyed. Was a nervous driver. I can tell you that much. I saw a diver. Well, that's confusing to me now, Philippe. But uh, let's just go. If you've got a license plate that says annoyed, then you're probably going to spend most of your life annoyed. So why don't you get a license plate that says easy, and then you'll probably have an easy life. Let's move on. So I want to share with you some words here that um, really when you start looking at the etymology of words, where they came from, you can understand the language a lot better. And English is a very special language. So the word memory literally means water and light. So isn't that phenomenal? The water, what we're made up of, and light, which gives us the heightened frequency to remember things. Brain. Be rain. That's exactly what it is. Another water analogy. A temple, if you point to the temple on your head, why is that the same word as the temple of Artemis or the temple of Karnak? The answer is because all the wisdom is in the temple. So if you start looking at these things, fantastic. English, the word itself actually comes from angles, which means angels. So the language of English is the language of the angels. And it doesn't matter what language you speak, most of the Western languages of French, uh, Afrikaans, English, German, um, Polish, all of those languages come from one language, which was called Proto-Indo-European, which was spoken in the oldest city on the planet, the city of Ur, which is around four and a half thousand BC. So that's the language of Earth, and it became English, which is the language of angels. And when you go and study um, English words from a sacred geometry point of view, you'll realize that uh, there's a numerical value to each word that actually gives it a vibration and you can break that down as in numbers. So choosing your words very carefully is really important. That's why headline analyzers and copywriting and all of those things are so important to spend time in choosing your words. And the last one here is spelling. Every time we use words, we are spelling the word. And so we are putting a spell on us. You know, annoyed, spell, you know, bitch, spell, life sucks, spell. So we are spelling ourselves. So at a very quantum level, if we just change our vocabularies and swear less, I mean, there's nothing like a good swear word. I mean, if you want to... If you want to go and uh, you know look at George Carvin's um, you know uh, video on all the many uses of the favorite swear word on the planet, it's a hilarious video because it can mean so many things. So I'm not saying don't swear. You know if you hit your finger with a nail, it has a very different connotation than you know when you're doing something else. So I'm not saying that. I'm saying choose your words very very carefully. If you can reduce the amount of cussing then that will be a great thing. If you can be more polite, that will be a great thing. If you're not so hard on yourself, if you're not saying, oh, so stupid, I did that, you know, or whatever, that's going to really, really assist you. Okay, I want to talk to you about um, the electron twins. This is CERN. Okay, now CERN is basically on the border of Switzerland and France, and it is a quantum physics lab. It's around about, I think from memory, 17 kilometers underneath the Earth. You see the ring here, 27 kilometers there. It's on the picture. So there you go, 27 kilometers. You see the ring here. This is under the Earth. And basically what they do at CERN is they fire electrons around this circle um, and they try and understand quantum and quantum science and quantum physics at this place here. Now, one of the fascinating experiments that's been done time and time again, but the first time it was done was probably about 15 years ago, I think maybe 16 years ago, when they fired two electrons at each other. And essentially what they did is as the electrons went around um, and they were polar opposites, So one would be in the north and one would be in the south. What they would do is they would um, basically do something to one of the electrons. And what they observed is that the other electron, the same thing happened to it, even though nothing had been done to it. And they realized then that um, this is what we call the butterfly effect, essentially, in that you know if we swear in, I don't know, Melbourne Philippe, then you know probably a, a bird's going to drop out of the sky in Guatemala because you did. because this is the the basis of everything being connected at a fundamental quantum physics level. And those of you that haven't read the Celestine prophecy, or if you have, I'd say reread it. This is really what they're proving here is actually the first chapter of James Redfield's book. And the first chapter of the Celestine prophecy says, there are no such thing as coincidences. Now, strangely enough, I read the Celestine prophecy in 1994, at a lodge in the Amazon in Peru, when I was there in Peru in 1994. And I picked up the book there from the small library they had at this lodge. But because it was the Amazon, things don't last there. And I actually honestly thought this book was years old. The cover was gone. There was a few pages missing, but I decided it looked interesting. I read it. And if you have read The Celestine Prophecy, it talks about... um, the main character, the protagonist in the story, as he goes on a journey through Peru and he learns the nine insights, which are the prophecy. The first insight is that there are no such thing as coincidences. So can you imagine me in 1994 reading this book in Peru going, oh my goodness. Then because I didn't know it was a new book, I started talking to Peruvians. Have you heard about the Celestine prophecy? And I got the most incredible responses from people who said, yeah, it's a load of crap to people who literally ran away from me in fear and said, the government will come. Don't mention that book. And then strangely enough, after I was in Peru, I flew to Toronto in Canada and in Toronto, the whole airport was full of the Celestine Prophecy, new number one bestseller released a a couple of weeks before that, or three or four weeks before that. So the Celestine Prophecy is a great book to show you that these coincidences you know, you're thinking about a friend and them ringing you up on the phone. You know, you're hoping that you'll get a pizza today and some, your neighbor offers you some because they can't eat it all. All of these sorts of things are exactly what's happening at the experiments at CERN, 27 kilometers in that circle under, under France. We've got a few more things to share, and then we're going to go, jump in and get some feedback from you guys. Of course, when we look at this, this also proves string theory. And there are no such things and everything is connected. So the best example of that in business is LinkedIn. Now, you know, if you look at LinkedIn, for instance, there are so many ways in which you realize that you can get connected to anybody around the world. But most of you are looking only at your connections and you're not looking at who they're connected to. And in the third generation, who they may be connected to. And this would be worthwhile putting some time aside on a weekly or monthly basis is probably enough to start looking at some of your top 100 connections. As you know, Lundy and I always speak about the money train and having a top 100 connections there and looking at who they're connected to, because there those people are influencing those other people it's the same thing that you're talking about from a quantum viewpoint there are no coincidences etc etc and you've heard of the law of six steps removed that no people are more removed than six steps on the planet i don't believe it i honestly don't believe it reason why is because of two things one was a radio competition in new zealand that they had that ran for months Many years ago, probably five, six, 10 years ago. And the second is my own personal experience. My own personal experience is that I can find anybody in the world in no more than three removes. So I'll give you an example. Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump spoke on success resources stage. I know Patrick Liu and Richard Tan who run success resources. They know Donald Trump. Um, Barack Obama. Um, I know Brian Neves uh, is a good friend of ours. He was a a senator in Obama's cabinet. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. I can keep coming up with these things. I I don't need to go too far to get to the people that I want to. By the way, the radio competition in New Zealand many years ago was people ring in and they could name any actor in the world from any country in the world. And within three moves, they would find a connection to Kevin Bacon. And that was the the competition. And people would ring up and say, my Uncle Bill had a walk-in role. He was in the background of this soap opera. And then they would trace that and they'd go, the star of the soap opera was in that movie. And that movie, the, um, the producer was a friend of Kevin Bacon's, right? So... This just proved to everybody that the world is so much more connected. This is string theory. This is the work of Michio Kaku, if you want to go and study Michio. Right. I want to talk about this, though. This is Edwin Schrodinger. And this, he brought out a paper in 1952. And he called it the string field multiverse. And he said, not only are we connected through these strings, and LinkedIn is a great example of string theory, where we're all connected around the world. He said, but in fact, there are up to 11 multiverses. And I think the picture, if you can see this, basically tells you what a multiverse is. And that's another you having the same experience on another universe at the same time. But I'm asking you here, is this any crazier than considering the internet back in 1990? For those of you that can remember 1990, I definitely don't think that uh, you know we could have assumed at all what the internet could be back in 1990 whatsoever, even though we had laptops and all those sort of things, and even cell phones back then. So the concept here is uh, one I want to share with you is an exercise that you can use in business to really help you. So if there is a multiverse, if there is different versions of you doing the same thing, For instance, you might be sitting there listening to uh, this webinar today and you're drinking your coffee. And if that person exists and you're drinking your coffee in multiverse numbers two and number three and number four, then let's just say you um, had a problem yesterday. Let's just say you lost a client. So for instance, why don't you do a meditation, step into multiverse number two, where the client comes back to you and apologizes and said they you know lost their mind or were crazy or something like that and you just take that through that type of meditation and when you do take that through that type of meditation you might be surprised that when you come back into what you believe is this world that you will actually find that that client comes back to you and i remember when uh, many of you know the company mind valley when mind valley when vision lakiani first started mind valley his number one selling product was quantum jumping. And quantum jumping was uh, created by an 82-year-old guy, Bert Goldman. And the concept here was that you do a meditation where you literally jump into one of these other lives. And in that life, um, you may be a concert pianist or maybe a ballet dancer for the Russian ballet or something like that. And then when you come back to this life, when you jump back, you bring a lot of those skills back. So Bert Goldman proved over many years that he could become an award-winning international photographer, even though he never owned a camera for most of his life. He proved that he could play the piano in a jazz band, even though he never played in his life before. So this concept, if you're prepared to take it on board of a multiverse, is a way in which you can... Look at quantum physics and the connections that we all have on different levels. And I call it the different laws of learning. And I've talked about those before, but where you are at different points in your soul's evolution. And I don't think this matters whether, you know, what your religion is or anything like this As I said to one of uh, one of my friends who was a pastor once when he said, oh, I'm not sure God would want me to, to do some of this work. I said, well, why don't you go and pray and ask him? He came back to me the next day and he said, I prayed to God and God said, gave me the thumbs up. So don't think for one minute just because you might be, you know, a devout Muslim or Christian or Hindu or something like this, that you can't just exercise a little bit of work in these areas within the boundaries which feel comfortable with you. Because, you know, we are just all, um, all matter comes from light and all light comes from sound. We are just a bunch of bobbling, humming bosons and pleurons with the four forces of nature. I wanna share with you to sort of bring my discussion today to a close, the conundrum of Google and why Google creates you more problems than solutions. This was a Google search I did. How to bake a chocolate cake. I'm not great at baking a chocolate cake. Um, I've probably made five of them in my life. So I need a recipe. So I go to Google, I go, how to bake a chocolate cake, 13,300,000 responses in less than half a second, 0.47 of a second. Does that answer my question? Technically, yes. What's my question? How to bake a chocolate cake? Bad question, right? Um, Maybe my question should have been, What is the best chocolate cake to bake that is gluten-free, has low in sugar and is primarily healthy? Okay, so now that I look at Google, I naturally click, I miss all the ads because they're all promoted to me. I click on the first thing there and I look at it and it says, put in two cups of sugar. So I think to myself, is that a lot? I don't know. It seems like a lot. Let me check the second recipe. So I go to the second one. It says, use 125 grams of sugar. I say, how much sugar is in a cup? Is that 125 grams? That, that seems less than a cup. I guess that's less than the first one. Now I have to go and study grams versus cups. Oh, let me try a third one. Now I look at the third one and it tells me something different. Now I'm incredibly confused, right? Now I'm totally confused. So I sit there and I say, all I want is bake a chocolate cake. Okay. Then I think to myself, hang on. Who do I trust? I think Gordon Ramsay. I trust Gordon. I've watched him on TV for years. I like Gordon. You know, he's hardcore, but he's got a beautiful heart. So I go and Google Gordon Ramsay gluten-free low-sugar chocolate cake, and I find a recipe in 0.5 of a second, and I cook it, and it's great, right? So here's the problem. It's not Google. That is the problem because Google has the answer to pretty much everything. It's us. That's the problem because we don't know what to ask. Go to Google and type in branding advice. If you follow it, be damned because you're probably going to destroy your brand very, very quickly. And so this is one of the reasons why you and us need trusted people that we work with who have the solutions to many, many of the questions that we need to know and understand, rather than going to the great unwashed of Google and basically going there and getting an answer. But the problem with that is it comes down to one thing, and that is the quality of our life comes down to the quality of our questions. And that comes down to the word selection, and it comes down to what Colleen Joy was talking about last week. So our words are very, very important. So in today's call, we've covered the basics of quantum physics. We've covered the fact that the ancient people knew a lot more than we know about macroverse, which is the world around us and our environment, and also knew a lot more about what was in it. They didn't have the health problems that we had these days. Go back and research, you know, over 120 years ago, there were only about 16 major illnesses on the planet. Now there's over 10,000. So, you know the quality of your life comes down to the quality of your questions. And I want to finish up with this quote because this is really sums up quantum physics. And this is a good friend of mine. Not many of you know him. I was actually chatting with him two days ago. And uh, this is what he says. Energy flows where focus goes. Now he'll instantly tell you it's not his quote, but it's his favorite quote. And I don't know whose quote it is. It's been around for a long time. So I'm attributing it to Glenn. Energy flows where focus goes. So, if you're focused on life's a bitch, then I marry one, then I die, guess what? Energy's going to bring you exactly what? If you're focusing on I've got no money in my bank account, then guess what? Uh, energy is going to flow and you're going to have no money in your bank account. So, and if energy flows to I'm really good at doing this and I deserve a great living, I deserve to charge more, you know, if energy goes, I feel good about myself, self confidence, et cetera, et cetera. If you choose your words right, um, then you will definitely, definitely improve dramatically. So what I want to do is I want to go from this to the share here. And uh, anybody who would like to share any insights or thoughts from your own side or have any questions, just pop your hand up and uh, we'll take some feedback. I can see you all there. And if you're not on the screen, pop your hand up on the, on the chat, um, on the little symbol down below that allows you to do that questions or insights i got a question maybe what's what's Hi your best ad- hello what's your best advice to change your mindset like you know that you have a pattern or something what's your best advice as soon as you have your awareness to make the shift i think there's a, a couple of things here so one of the ones that i think works well for people is to wear a little rubber band on your wrist and then have your loved ones and friends pick up every time you're doing something that you don't want to can do, continue doing and just flick it on your wrist. And you'll know how many times a day you're flicking this damn rubber band. And uh, at the time, then you'll start to realize at times you're flicking it less because you become more aware. You even stop yourself using, using words. And it's so interesting because, you know, um, We've got South Africans on this call and we've got Australians. So I'm going to give you a a really interesting religious difference. You go to a, and Philippe, tell me if I'm wrong here. You go to a family in Melbourne and, you know, the kids are there and they're maybe nine or 10 years old. And, uh, you know, the, the dog steals their ball and runs out. This is what they'll say. I apologize to my South African friends for this. Jesus Christ, the dog stole the ball. That's what they'll say. It's trained into them, right? You nod, right? You've heard it a million times. In South Africa, that would be seen as blaspheming Jesus, and it would be seen as a terrible thing to do, right? You should not do it. But it's inbred in Australians. I can't tell you how many of my clients that I talk to in Australia, that were born in Australia and were schooled in Australia, that everything's like, Jesus Christ, I can't get more sales and this and that and the other. It's just within them. So if that's something you want to change, and I found myself doing it when I lived in Australia too, because it's just becomes part of you. Then you have to be have that consciousness to move whatever you don't want out. And one of the best ways is that rubber band and having somebody pick that up. Um, swearing's another one. Um, changing your mindset, I think, uh, to give you another angle on that, meditation prayer breathing exercises stillness not being caught up in the busyness there's so many things that we can do today when we finish this call we go oh we've just spent an hour with Mike you know now I have to catch up now I've got 10 more calls to make or whatever you know resist the urge to do that and maybe just grab a coffee sit in stillness for 10 minutes and think about the effect of this to you because you know by pure chance with, um, you know, just the way Nicola organized this this year, you've had Colleen last week talk about similar things and me this week talk about similar things. This and go quantum physics. There must be a reason everybody who's listening to this needs to hear this right now. So um, sit with stillness and and have a coffee and enjoy it and think about that. Any other questions or insights? Whilst you're thinking, I've got a question for you guys. You can go to the chat if you want to, or you can just give me some direct feedback. How have you felt about the last couple of weeks meetings and what have you taken out of both of them? That's my question for everybody. Who would like to share? Moira's is going for the share. Don't you hate dead, dead silence when you're on radio or anything? Yes, yeah, Moira. Well, Hi.
1: Not really. I'm not trying to rescue anyone. Um, I was just thinking about what have got out of this one? Is um, um, was I was amused about the Google example and the 144,000 chocolate cake recipes, and I thought uh, what I got out of that is um. Yeah, I'm like that. I just don't want all that choice, and and I don't want another job. And that's what it is. Every time you have to make all those extra multi-decisions, it's another job. So um, so it just reinforces, for me, making things simpler and simpler and simpler for people. You know, you can think that you're doing them a favour by giving them all these options or leaving this all sort of open, But actually, just to come in and say, and if I was you, which clearly I'm not, um, but I'd be going for that because they come to you because they trust you. So if they want your advice, just give it to them. I agree.
0: I think that's a great bit of salesmanship. I think that's great salesmanship, you know, said right to people. People take it on board and, and well said. Philippe said, more and more, you just need to be yourself. I couldn't agree more with every single person on here. Mm. I think that's what we all need more of ourselves. Colleen, decision fatigue. I think people have got decision fatigue. Um, I read somewhere recently that on average, people make 40,000 decisions a day. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, will I have coffee or tea? Will I sit in this chair? Will I answer that email? Should I ring my mum? Whatever the decisions are, right? So we make all these decisions in a day. So we do have decision fatigue. So keeping things simpler for us and simple for other people is great. Um, Heather, really enjoying the focus on raising my consciousness. Thank you so much. I think it's been great the last couple of weeks. Natasha, and yet we all want those choices, options. Yes, we do. But I think the thing is you keep the options clear. And that's why whenever I suggest sales to somebody, I suggest you give them, the hamburger with the lot, which is what Moira says, if I were you, I think I would just do this because that answers everything. Then you give them, but if you don't want to do that, you should at least do this, which is sort of the starting point. And then, or you could do nothing whatsoever and maintain the exact position that you are today. That's the third choice, meaning be stuck. Which one do you want to do today? That's the best way to sell, right? So, um most people actually, when you put it to them that way, they go, well, I must well get started and do everything because I need to do everything. So they've still got choices, but they've got guided choices. I think that's uh, the right thing. A couple more minutes left. Any other feedback from anybody? Elri, I see your, your hand up there. So anything else you would like to share? Hello.
2: Good morning, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, good. Uh, yes, I was just thinking, um, you know, that... Uh, I had quite a rough year last year, and I was just, I was on one webinar, and it said, do one thing, just, my, my dad always used to say, start in the corner, if you have to work through the land, start at the corner. So, you were asking the question, is what we thought about the webinars now for this year, and I must tell you, I didn't, I didn't have one webinar sorry i didn't have one webinar where i felt that i didn't get something in there and for me the start was to just be here every day on a, on a tuesday morning and listen and sit here and just and i just didn't have any motivation to go on and i was so uh, demotivated, and I didn't have energy and, and every time I get up from this, I feel that there was something in, especially for me. And I also spoke about uh, last year, uh, last week's webinar, that was incredible. And I went and I sat down with that thing. And I worked through that recipe that we got last week. And I was just thinking, if we dig and ask and open and live, anybody can do that. And it's simple. It's not difficult. So for me at this time, I think that I've got so much. And I think just start with something small if you want to change a habit. Put that elastic around your, your, your wrist and do little things,
0: little things.
2: That's just what I, I want I to love say that. this morning. I love that, Ari, and I think yes. it's so
0: good. Such good advice. I, I call it the magic of marginal improvement. If you're able to improve just 1% each week, by the end of the year, the compound effect will be about a 60% improvement, which is phenomenal. Most people don't improve that. And if you did that every year of your life, think how much you would grow. So just to, to round off, Colleen says um, uh, absolute power equals responsibility, the ability to respond. And choices we empower by creating choices and growing in our ability to respond to them with confidence and capability beautifully said and a lovely place to to finish up today on next week's call strangely enough we're going to be having L, the word architect that is her business and she's going to be talking uh about a lot of different things that also involve words but this time bringing words into your business copywriting books that type of thing we're going to be jumping into next week and t- till then we'll see you all later and have a wonderful week ahead everybody bye bye